Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks for being here today. If you're watching online, thanks for tuning in. I asked Emma to stay up here because Emma has a special announcement to make. Many of you have heard this. Um, uh, we've made it, it, we've announced it in some circles, but uh, not everyone has heard this yet. But Emma is actually going to be leaving staff here at the church, but she uh, has a special calling, a special reason for that. So I wanted her to share that. Yeah. So a lot of you know, um, my heart really is in missions. Um, and so back in 2021, me, Clint, and Ben took a took a trip over um, to Uganda to go to the Dreamland Orphanage over there. And the Lord really just gave me a heart for the kids. Um, and then we went back last August, and the Lord really just expanded my heart to people in Uganda. Uh, so coming back from that trip, I knew that God was calling me to go to, back to Uganda. Didn't know what that looked like, who I would be working with, but um, I ended up getting connected with an organization called Petrozoe. And so in April of this year, I actually went and spent a month with them to see if this is something that um, God was calling me to do. And he confirmed that very early on in my trip. So I um, will actually be moving over to Uganda in January of next year to be a full-time missionary. Yeah. So we are super excited to be uh, supporting and sending and helping any way we can uh, Emma in this call that she has. Um, we will be giving you more information as time gets closer near the end of the year. You can financially support her through the church if you would like as well. Um, and she'll be giving updates as well and things like that. So we're super excited uh, for her. We're super sad for us. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but God is coming through for us. So I did want to let you know that uh, Danny Kaza, or Nagi Kaza, is um, our new student ministries director. Yeah. And so we're super excited about having Danny on staff helping us out with students. And then uh, we're still looking for a worship director. Danny's going to help out with musician development. Um, but we have some wonderful volunteers who are going to be stepping up. And uh, Emma is actually um, finishing up her staff position at the end of August. So uh, she's going to go spend a month abroad, a few weeks in Africa and then in Europe, and then come back and be uh, a wonderful volunteer for the rest of the year. So we'll still see uh, Emma around, but uh, from a staff position, uh, she's going to be a volunteer. And we have other volunteers who are stepping up as well. So um, I want to pray for Emma and, uh, and then we'll get started. So, Father, I just thank you for Emma. I thank you for her willingness to follow the call in her life, no matter the sacrifice. And so, Lord, um, we joyfully uh, embrace this calling that she has, Lord, and we support her and we love her and pray for her, God. And, and Lord, I pray that you would bless her in this transition. And, Lord, be with us as we transition with students and worship and other areas, God. Uh, we know that you have the perfect people in the right positions in mind. So we give you the praise and glory in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Emma. Let's give her another hand, if you would. So Emma's looking for people to go with her to Africa. Anybody that's just going to go? All right, we got one. So, <laughs> all right. 
Yeah, write down those names. Um, All right, we're going to transition into the message by talking about Michigan football. Anybody excited about? No. Yeah, you guys know my pain. So so I grew up in Michigan. I grew up in Michigan. I graduated from Western Michigan University. Um, I wouldn't say I was a Michigan football fan when I was living in Michigan. Uh, I knew about them. If I was a a fan, I was probably a Western Michigan uh, Broncos fan. But uh, I, I got my first job out of college was at Memorial Hospital. And so I moved down into South Bend, not realizing that I was moving into Notre Dame country. Any Notre Dame fans here today? Yeah, there's, there's a couple, maybe one or two. Anyways, <laughs> there's a lot of them. And so um, I took this job at the hospital, and I quickly realized that you cannot be a Michigan fan and a Notre Dame fan, right? So you have to choose one or the other. I mean, there's just like, it's, there's a dichotomy here. And so <clears throat> I had to make a decision early on. Am I going to conform with the crowd and, and join and start rooting for the local home team, Notre Dame? Or am I going to, you know, kind of dig in a little bit deeper and become a true blue, obnoxious Wolverine fan? Many of you know what I chose. I became a... <laughs> A Michigan fan. And, um, and so I worked at Memorial for 15 years, and, and I, did the, I went back and looked at the, the record, and Michigan and Notre Dame played each other 11 times during those 15 years. The first fall game, it was a tie. It was the only tie during that time between Michigan and Notre Dame. But over the next 14 years, they played 10 times, and Michigan won five, and Notre Dame won five. So that's a pretty evenly matched team, those two playing against each other. And so on those Monday mornings after Michigan won, I'd walk into the office with a little strut in my stride. You know, I'd have, I wore a tie back then, and so I I, I believe I would wear my Michigan, you know, big M tie. I'd have my Michigan coffee cup, and I'd ask, did you you see the game on Saturday? You know, I'd just kind of talk about the game. But that only happened five times. The other five times, those Mondays, I think I took them off. If I remember right, no. I wanted to take them off. But I, I, I can tell you, I didn't wear a Michigan tie. I didn't carry around my Michigan cup. And I sure didn't want to talk about the game. I was really hoping that, really, that nobody knew I was a Michigan fan. Because it was painful. I mean, those who did know, oh, it was painful. So, anyway, uh, anyone like that where... You know, your team is doing well. I mean, you wear the uniform, you wear the hat, you wear the t-shirt, right? And uh, you represent. And then when your team's not doing so well, you don't represent. So in, in 2016, I think all of this area became Chicago Cubs fans because they, wo- they won the World Series in 2016. And I saw so many people wearing Cubs uh, uniforms and hats, and, and I saw, you know, the, the, the W flag flying in all the houses. Remember that, 2016? Well, some of those hats and, and uh, flags, that they haven't been worn or flown since then. I think it's been like seven years, right? Because that's, that's kind of what we do. If, our, if everyone's kind of going in a direction, you know, we, we jump on the bandwagon. That's kind of what happens. I even thought about getting a Cubs jersey. I didn't during that time, but I thought about it. 
But we call it jumping on the bandwagon. So I, that's a strange term, isn't it? Jumping on the bandwagon. So I looked it up. I'm like, where did this term come from? Um, and it came from uh, Zachary Taylor's presidential campaign in 1848. He, be, he went on to become the 12th president of the United States, but he actually campaigned on a circus bandwagon. I mean, he was riding around campaigning on the back of a circus bandwagon. And uh, he became popular. And as everybody started talking about Zachary Taylor and, and how popular he was, there were some articles written where they said to his opponents, they said, you should probably jump on Zachary Taylor's bandwagon if you want to be successful. So that's where it came from. Well, this term bandwagon actually has, it's been defined now as kind of a psychological, sociological phenomenon. It's called the bandwagon effect. And it says this, the bandwagon effect is the tendency for people to adopt certain behaviors, styles, or attitudes simply because others are doing so. More specifically, it is a cognitive bias by which public opinion or behaviors can alter due to particular actions and beliefs rallying amongst the public. And so if you're wondering, what are some examples of that? Did anyone ever wear bell-bottoms? I mean, because that makes no sense at all other than the bandwagon effect, right? Um, well, there was a time, the reason I tell you all this, there was a time when in the United States, it was really, really popular to be a Christian. You know, a couple hundred years ago, most people, you know, left Europe for freedom of religion. And so, so the founding fathers, the first pilgrims that came, many, many, many of them were Christians. And so we had a majority of people in the United States who were followers of Christ. And even if you weren't a Christian back then, you would jump on the bandwagon because there was an expectation that you were going to at least go to church, right? Little House in the Prairie. We all seen that. You know, the schoolhouse, Monday through Friday, became the church house. Okay, maybe not everybody's seen that. So, but the church house became, uh, the schoolhouse became the church house on Sundays. And everyone in town would go to church on Sundays, except for maybe Mr. Edwards. He had, a, had trouble getting to church on Sundays. But and so they looked down upon you if you didn't go to church, if you didn't profess to be a Christian, because everybody did at that time. But that was then. And uh, this is 2023. And our culture is shifting. It is changing in the United States today. It is becoming increasingly unpopular to be a Christian. There was a a survey that's been done since 1948 by Statista.com, which, uh, or the group anyway, Statista, um, which shows which religion people are associated with in the United States. So starts over here, 1948 to 2022, the, the top blue line is uh, those who have proclaimed to be Protestant Christians. So it started about 70% or so of those in the United States claim to be Protestant Christians, which is what Lighthouse is. We're a Protestant church. And that's dropped down below 40% over that period of time. 
And what's interesting is if you can see that purple line in the middle, it starts at a basically zero and has worked its way up to 20% and continues to grow. That is those who would profess to have no religion. Like they're, they're the, they call them the nuns, the rise of the nuns. There are many people, especially among our younger generation, it's much higher than 20%. Um, you know, 40, maybe even 35, 40, 50% of the younger generation would proclaim to not have any religious affiliation. This has resulted in a majority, where it used to be a majority of people would be at church on Sunday. Well, now a majority of Americans are not at church on Sunday. Same same company did this survey of those people who attend church. And so 20% here on the left say they, they attend every week. 10% 10% almost every week, 11% about once a month. But what's interesting is we have 20%, 26% that would say seldom. They seldom attend church. 31% would say never. So 57% of Americans today would say that they hardly ever attend church. So we can kind of see where this is going, where this trend is going. Christianity is going to become increasingly unpopular. And so the majority of people in the United States will either not identify as a Christian or at least they won't be attending church on Sundays. So here's the question for us today. So as this happens, as this occurs, will we join the crowd? Will we jump on the bandwagon and join the people who are not proclaiming to be followers of Christ or who aren't attending church on Sundays? Well, the obvious answer to that is no, right? We won't. It doesn't matter how unpopular it becomes in the United States to be a follower of Christ. We won't jump on the bandwagon, right? That's our hope. That's our hope. But let's be honest, even in 2023, as this trend is just really developing, it can be difficult to stand up for our faith. I mean, I'm a pastor, and I know that, how, that it can be difficult sometimes in a public restaurant to just pray, to pray out loud with your family before you eat. I've had those times when I've you know, knelt my head down, and, and I'm praying for our meal, and I see the waitress come up to our table and stand there awkwardly waiting for us to finish praying. And my face, I, I felt it get flushed because I'm embarrassed in that moment. Or those times when I'm looking at what shirt I'm going to wear on any given day, and, and I'm thinking through, well, I'm going to be over here, do I want to wear my Lighthouse t-shirt or, or not? Am I, am I alone in that? Or you guys understand that, that that plays in our minds? And that's in 2023. Guys, we're going to look back on 2023 and say, boy, it was easy to be a Christian then. Because it's going to be harder to be a Christian in the years to come. And so we need to, in 2023, learn how to stand up for our faith today. Today. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 10, he says, whoever acknowledges me before others, 
I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Disowning is a strong term, but really, it's when you don't acknowledge before others for fear of embarrassment or persecution or whatever, that's disowning. And I don't believe that anyone here who is a follower of Christ wants to stand before God one day and have Jesus go, hey, I, I don't know him. Sorry. I don't know him because he didn't know me. He didn't, he didn't own up that he knew me on earth. I'm disowning him now. I think we all want to be acknowledged by God. So hold that thought. We're continuing our series this summer titled Fully Committed. And it's a message series where we're studying different Bible characters who, and they were fully committed to their faith. They were fully committed to their God, to their, their family, to their friends. And my hope is that as we study these Bible characters, it'll challenge us to be more fully committed. Well, last week, uh, my wife Rose taught a message titled, Fully Committed to Being Victorious. And it was about the, the life of Joshua. So if you missed it, I would encourage you to watch it online. It was a really, really good message. But today, we're going to read about four young men who didn't waver on their allegiance to God, even when it became unpopular. They stood up against the crowd. So you can turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel's in the Old Testament, near the end of the Old Testament. And while you're turning there, I'll, I'll set the stage. So the year is 605 BC, so about 600 years before Christ is born. King Nebuchadnezzar uh, is the king of Babylon, and he has conquered Israel, the, the part of Israel called Judah, and he took captive all of the talented young men. His plan was to take all of the talented young men of, of Israel, of Judah, bring them to Babylon, and then train them over three years to become leaders in his kingdom. Four of those young men were named Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were friends. And they went through that training. And God blessed them, and they became leaders in the kingdom under Nebuchadnezzar. But in their lives, they were then all faced with a decision, am I going to follow the crowd or am I going to follow what God has told me, has commanded me? Well, they all chose to honor God. So we're going to read about that, starting with Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. So King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is verse 4, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're leaders in this kingdom, but now there's been this order that you must bow down and worship an idol. And they knew 
That's not what God commanded. In part of, as part of the Ten Commandments, it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and we are not to worship any idols and engraven images. And so they had a choice to make. And so when the trumpet sounded and the music played, the whole kingdom, everyone bowed down to this idol, except for these three young men. So King Nebuchadnezzar finds out about this, and he's furious. And so he calls them in front of him, and he has this confrontation. In verse 15, he says to them, he says, Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were given a second chance. Are you going to do it? Are you going to, are you going to turn from your faith? Are you going to worship this idol like everybody else is? And this was their response in verse 16. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I mean, they stood up defiantly to King Nebuchadnezzar. So how do you think he responds? The king makes the furnace even hotter. <laughs> and he immediately throws them into the furnace. Many of you have heard this story. Um, but they are walking around in the furnace. They're not burned up. They're walking around. King Nebuchadnezzar sees that. He sees a fourth person in there. He says it's like the Son of God. We don't know if it was Jesus himself or if it was an angel. But he leans it and he says, hey, guys, come out of there. And so they walk out of this furnace. These three young men, they're, they're, they were bound when they were thrown in. Those, those are burned off. But there was no smell of smoke on them at all. And King Nebuchadnezzar blesses them and praises God and promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you don't know the story, you can read the rest of that chapter and hear it. But I want to skip to chapter 6 because about 10 years later, later the king of Babylon is now King Darius. And Daniel is the one put into a difficult situation. Daniel is promoted again. He's a key leader for King Darius. But the other administrators become jealous, and they set up a trap for Daniel. So chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, says this. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, 
just as he had done before. So Daniel defies the king as well. He makes that decision, and he, and he prays with his windows open, not in secret, and his enemies come and spy on him. They turn him into King Darius, and they said, he's praying to another god. You made this law. He needs to be thrown into a lion's den, and sure enough, the king tries any way to keep him from going in, but he gets thrown into a lion's den with a bunch of hungry lions, and they don't touch him all night. And he's delivered the next morning, and he's freed. And then King Darius praises God and blesses Daniel. Scripture says that Daniel prospered. So our message title today is Fully Committed to Owning Our Faith. Owning Our Faith. I want to look at some characteristics between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel, those stories, and give us some more reasons why we should own our faith. You can fill these in on your handout, but first, let me pray. God, I pray that you would help me to communicate your word in a way that changes our hearts. Lord, open up our hearts to receive from you. God, every one of us wants to be owned by you one day. And I know your word says that if we don't own up to our faith today, that it's going to be hard for you to own up to knowing us later. So, Father, I pray that you would show us what we can do to better own up to our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can fill this on your handout if you would like. We should be fully committed to owning our faith because, number one, we could see a miracle. could see a miracle. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked in fire, and they were not burned. Daniel was thrown into a den of hungry lions, and they didn't even come close to him. He was saved through the night. The lions didn't touch him. And when we honor God, we are more likely to see the miraculous. When young David, he was a shepherd at the time, he went to go visit his brothers who were on the front line of this this battle, and he heard this giant named Goliath making fun of his brothers, of the soldiers, of the people of Israel, and making fun of their God. And he said, we must honor God. I'll go kill that giant. And God showed up, and David killed Goliath. Paul was was going from town to town, and he was preaching about Jesus, even where it wasn't popular. And it was so unpopular in one town that they actually stoned him to death and drug him out of the city, assuming he was dead. And God did the miraculous, and Paul stood up and went back into that same city. There's story after story after story of God intervening and doing the miraculous when people honored God. When they were put into difficult situations because of their faith, God did the miraculous. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3 says this, but now, this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, 
Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, you will, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I've read that scripture many, many times, and I've just always looked at the idea that um, God will be with us when we pass through the waters and, and the rivers won't sweep over us and that the fire won't burn us. But if you notice, it says, when you pass through the waters, when you pass through the rivers, when you walk through the fire, there's an expectation that, that we are doing something. Like we are standing up for our faith and then right, we're going through the fire, we're going through the waters. It's in those moments that God meets us and does the miraculous. We have to take the steps forward for our faith. So if you want to see God do the miraculous, stand up for your faith. Put yourself in a situation where God needs to intervene. I'm just reminded of uh, there was a, I think they might have made a movie about it now. There was a, a football coach who prayed with his players before the games. And he ended up losing his job over it. And he needed God to do the miraculous. And if I remember right, he ended up getting his job back, or at least they offered it back to him. When we stand up for our faith, we might face persecutions. We might see negative things happen, but it's in those moments that God will intervene and we could see him move and see him move. So that's the first point. We could see a miracle. Second point is this. We should be fully committed to owning our faith because we will be rewarded. We will be rewarded. Scripture says that King Nebuchadnezzar promoted and rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And after Daniel was saved from the lion's den, uh, Scripture says that he prospered under King Darius. He was blessed by King Darius. When we sacrifice our, our reputation, our honor, our opportunities for God, God doesn't forget it, and he will repay us. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is talking about the cost of being a disciple, and he says this, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. God is basically saying is that if we sacrifice because of our faith, we will be rewarded, not only in this life, but in eternity in heaven one day as well. When I worked at uh, Memorial Hospital, I was in management and, and hired several different staff members over those several years. And uh, Memorial was, a, at that time, a pretty good place to work and and so it wasn't uncommon for me to get 20, 30, 50, 100 resumes uh, for any open position that we had. And I'd have to go through those resumes. And, and I remember looking at some of those resumes, and some of them would say things like, I volunteer at my church, or I um, uh, play church softball, or I've been on a, a mission trip, or things like that. They would say something about their faith in their uh, either the cover letter or on the resume. And many professional recruiters would tell you, don't do that. Don't talk about your faith 
when you're, you know, uh, applying for a job. But in this case, these individuals that would share about their faith, they, they always got an interview from me. And, uh, and to be honest, I hired a lot of them because they were bold for their faith, and I knew that that took guts and that there was a, a level of integrity there. And so I hired a lot of them, and they were blessed because they took a risk of sharing their faith. Now, to be honest, would you really want to work for a company that wouldn't hire you because you shared your faith? I mean, is that the kind of company as a follower of Christ that we really want to work for is someone that wouldn't hire you because you said on a resume that you were a follower of Christ? I was talking to an individual this week who was working for a company and um, found out that they were doing some unethical things, some unethical practices, and um, they were asking him to do it too, and he said, I'm not going to. And he ended up quitting that job and, and got a job making two bucks an hour or less. But it wasn't six months later that he got a different job making $4 an hour more. So the end result was he was getting paid, you know, two bucks an hour more than where he was at the other position. God will bless you if you stand up for him. You may not see it immediately, but God will bless you. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And when we own our faith, even in the midst of adversity, man, we are sowing to our spirit, and we will reap eternal life. We will reap it. So we should be fully committed to owning our faith because we will be rewarded, for sure. And lastly, we should be fully committed to owning our faith because God's name will be honored. God's name will be honored. I've heard the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego since I was just a little, just a little pup, you know, just a little one. And, um, and also of Daniel and the lion's den. But, you know, it really never struck me uh, until this week about what happens, what happened afterwards with God's reputation, you know, God's name. So let me read this, um, chapter 3, verse 28. This is after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the furnace. This was then Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was furious with them, and he wanted to kill them just really just a few minutes earlier, says this. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Nebuchadnezzar made it illegal to talk bad about their God. I mean, they would be cut into pieces. <laughs> their houses turned into rubble. And he praised God. And that was all a result of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego staying true to their faith, to what they believed. 
Now, something very similar happened with Daniel as well. After he had lived through being thrown into the lion's den, chapter 6, verse 25 says, Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. Okay, so he wrote a letter to everyone. Okay, everyone. And he says, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. King Darius told his entire kingdom about how great the God of Daniel was. And he praised him. And again, he issued a decree. You guys need to honor God, the God of Daniel. When we own our faith, people take notice. You know, there are times when we wear a Christian shirt or we carry our Bible, you know, into the cafeteria or we bow our head and pray and we think, oh, everybody's looking at me. Everybody's looking down. I believe that even though popular opinion is moving away from God, people respect those who own their faith and who own their belief. It may not feel like it, but when we do own our faith, we are honoring God. It's good for people to think that we're a good person, but you know what? It's better for people to know why we are a good person because of our faith. Here's your last fill-in. It's worth sacrificing my honor if God gets more honor. Isn't that true? It's worth sacrificing my honor if God gets more honor. So we should be fully committed to owning our faith because we could see a miracle. We will be rewarded, and God's name will be honored. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here. They're going to do a closing song. But I want to read a section of the book of Hebrews because I think it speaks pretty clearly to uh, the message today. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. The author is, is reminding us that suffering for being a Christian is worth it. He says in this, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light. When you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And then verse 39 is the key verse. It says, but, do not, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. I want us to belong to those who do not shrink back. I want us to own 
our faith. I want us to own our faith. Guys, in all honesty, today it's, it's, it's pretty easy to be a Christian in America. It's becoming more difficult. But I believe that it is going to become very difficult to be a follower of Christ in the future. And so today, we need to practice not shrinking back. We need to own up to our faith. Whatever that looks like for you, all of us, I think we, I think we know individually what that means. There may be that person that you've avoided talking about your faith to just because you didn't want to hear what they had to say or hear the negative comments that they might make. It might be we talked about praying in a restaurant. It may be that you've, you've never prayed in a restaurant because you were afraid of what it would look like to others. Or you've hidden the Word of God, like you act like you're looking at Facebook when you're actually reading because you don't want people to know that you're reading the Bible. Well, I believe that if we have ever felt that, experienced that, because I know I have, that we should repent to God. We should just repent and tell God we're sorry. And so what we're going to do for closing as well that's it for today's message we hope we helped you know god more intimately if you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofinner.church thank you for being part of our family and we will see you next time